Hey, it's Pastor Nick from Grace River Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you find today's message encouraging and transformative in your life. We'd love for you to join us online each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. by visiting graceriverva.com slash live. Now, enjoy the message. Amen. Can we pray? Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for these next steps that were taken either here in person or online, maybe in a different state. We thank you for that, Lord. We, we, we pray over the tithes and the offerings that were brought online this morning. Father, we thank you for that. We pray in faith that you will continue to increase that, Lord, not so that we can just have money, but Lord, so we can continue to work on the mission that you have called us to, to reach every generation and experience transformation in those lives. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. Lord, open our hearts, open our minds to hear from you this morning as we hear from the word. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. We have the honor of having Anthony Bashoff here on our team. We are so thankful for him. He is going to come and lead the word. I think we have a few uh, more South Africans in our midst this morning because of this. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. Here we go. Wonderful. What can I say? We're taking over. So good to be here this morning. I hope that you have an expectancy this morning. Um, let me just get all the preliminaries out of the way, then I can go on. First of all, I would like to thank all of you being here. For there's people in our life that's also very special that, that serve in other churches, and they said, listen, you are preaching today, no pressure. <laughs> but we want to come and support you this morning, and I'm so thankful for that. I've got Armand Boshoff here as well. He's, this, he's, he's got the sa- same surname as I have, and at school they keep on asking me, is this your brother or... But our Monday's here with us today, and also James and Vanessa. I want to say thank you to you guys for being here. And then Dr. Kone Becker from, uh, from uh, Regent uh, University. He's the dean of the Divinity School. And uh, he was actually the person, when I was in seminary back in South Africa, um, that actually graded me when I was preaching then. And uh, he's a lovely guy. I must be honest with you guys. No pressure there. But I remember what he told me the first time when I was preaching in front of him. I mean, I was dying, literally dying. And he wrote, he gave me a good mark, fantastic mark. It was very generous. Thank you, Dr. Kunai. But he wrote, you are very comfortable, too comfortable in the pulpit. So I hope this morning I'm not too comfortable in the pulpit. So this morning I want to obviously uh, continue where we spoke about the Gospel of John. Last week we spoke about chapter 5. As you can remember, we, we, uh, Dr. Bucci spoke about the man in the middle. And we spoke about the man being healed at the pool of Bethesda. And I want to Bethesda, and I want to go on this morning speaking about chapter 6. But just before I get into that, let me just say two things this morning. I want you to take your Bibles and follow along with me. Or even if you have your, your Bible on your phone, please follow along with me. It's, it's important for me that you see what I read. But also, the second thing is, is that you judge everything that I say. That you will be a good Berean, like, like Paul admonished the Bereans. For they check daily to see what you are speaking about, if it was so according to the scripture. I think we live in a time and an age today where people just swallow. It's not good. To know that someone is a doctor or a prophet or an evangelist or even a pastor. You still have the responsibility on your side 
to go through that word and to judge and to see not the person's character, but the word that he's speaking. Is he really speaking from God? The word that he speaks, is it from God? So I want to encourage you always, if I'm here on this stage, and I'm sure it's the same with, with Pastor Nick and Pastor John, always check and see what we are preaching. Does it line up with the word? That's very important. So this morning, just before we get into this, in the scripture of John chapter 6, let me just give you a little bit of background, because I think this is important for where we're going this morning. If you look at the four Gospels that we have, we have the Gospel of, of Matthew, we have the Gospel of Mark, and of Luke, and obviously of John. If you look at these four Gospels and you put them next to each other, there's something that I've seen happening. First of all, Matthew portrays Jesus as the king. And in Mark, Mark portrays him as the obedient servant. And in Luke, obviously, the perfect man. But in John, John tells us that Jesus is the son of God. That's so important. Obviously, Matthew wrote, uh, his audience that he wrote to was for the Jews. Mark wrote to the Romans. Luke to the Greeks. And listen to this. John wrote to all men. When you get saved, the first gospel that you have to read is John. Why? Because it's written for everyone. That is so wonderful for me to, to see that. Also, when we look at this, these books next to each other, in Matthew's book and in Luke's gospel, there's 20 signs that he, that he actually brings out in his book. Mark has 18, and then John has only 8. That's very interesting for me. And if we look at the purpose of, the, of, of John, he writes this in John chapter 20, verse 31. He writes the following. He says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. You see, John is trying to show us what? That Jesus is the Son of God. That's so important. He shows us that Jesus is, in fact, the perfect God-man. And John has been writing this, first of all, to show us that Jesus is the Son of God. But also, secondly, he wrote this because there were many false teachings that was going around in that time. He also writes this to strengthen the second generation Christian's faith. So that they can know when they read this, this is to show you that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. A third thing that John does, which I picked up, is that he links Jesus Christ to the Old Testament God in the, the I am statements that he makes. He goes further in John chapter 6 verse 35 and he says that Jesus is the bread of life. He shows us that. Jesus gives food, spiritual food to his people in the same way that he would have given food to the Israelites when they were in the wilderness, connecting Jesus Christ then to the Old Testament. And then in chapter 1, as we start off with John, what does it say? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. And the Word was with God. Showing us almost like a heavenly genealogy. Linking Jesus Christ back to heaven. So let's look at John chapter 6, verse 1 to 15. And while you page there, I'm just going to take a drink. It's important to notice. That John chapter 6, this is the fourth miracle that John records. 
the fourth miracle. The first miracle we see in John chapter 2. The first miracle that Jesus did, remember I told you uh, John actually highlights eight miracles. The first miracle that John did was in John chapter 2. He turned the water into wine. And every time when we see these miracles, it reveals something else about Jesus Christ. Something interesting. First miracle, turning water into wine reveals his power over time. Jesus did not adhere to the commercial of we will not serve wine before it's time. Amen. The second miracle. John chapter 4, the nobleman's son that got healed. Jesus shows his power over disease and distance. Remember, the, the father came to Jesus and said to him, listen, my son is ill. Can you heal him? And Jesus did not have to travel all the way to his, where we, his son was. And the place where his son was, Jesus was at that uh, stage. He was in Canaan, uh, Canaan of Galilee. And the son was in Capernaum. And they say it was about 10 to 11 miles away. Jesus healed that young man, showing his authority over distance and over disease. Miracle number three, John 5. This reveals, uh, well, this is the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. And this shows Christ's power over, first of all, over limbs, lifeless limbs. And his power to forgive sin and the consequence of sin. And then we come to miracle number four this morning, John chapter 6. And this shows God's, uh, Christ's power over quantity. And I want you to remember this. What is, what is John's purpose? John's purpose is to show us that Jesus is God. He's the God man. And we need to put that in the back of our minds when we read through the book of, of John. So let's start off in John chapter 6 verse 1. And this is what it says. It says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Verse 2, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. After what things? I mean, the Bible says, after these things. Now, if you, you take the parallel scriptures in Luke 9 and Mark 6 and in Matthew 10, I'm going to quote uh, Luke 9, verse 1 to 6. Just to give you an idea what we are talking about here. After these things. And he called together. And this is where Jesus calls together his 12 disciples and he sends them out. So this is what happens. And he says in Luke 9, 1, 6. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure disease. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So this is what Jesus did before this all happened in chapter 6. And in Luke 9, verse 10, we, they return. And listen to what they say. They say, and on their return, the apostles told him all that they have done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And that's very important because we need to establish where they went exactly. And he took them and obviously what he did, he did a kind of a debriefing. He spent some time with them after this. And this is where we get verse 1 where it says, and after this, Jesus went away with them. And obviously, we had this big crowd following them. Now, Bethsaida was a small town in Galilee, best known in the Bible as the birthplace of several of Jesus' disciples, as we will see in this, this chapter. Uh, Philip, Peter, and Andrew, and most poss possibly Nathaniel, this was their birthplace. And it's important to know that as well. Uh, Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch of Galilee, he named the Sea of Galilee um, after the emperor uh, Tiberius, Roman emperor Tiberius. 
And that's why John uses this name so that the audience that read that, that verse could understand exactly where the place would have been. So moving on, chapter 2, and a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs. And obviously we know from later on in verse 13 that Jesus would feed this, this crowd. I mean, that was, what, that's, that was his intention. But if we read in the parallel scripture in Matthew 14, 21, it wasn't only 5,000 people. I mean, the, the heading in the Bibles of, of John, the chapter of John, chapter 6 says, the feeding of 5,000. But Matthew talks about the fact that it was only men, excluding the women and the children. So apparently this was not only 5,000 people that was fed. This was about 20,000 people together that was fed that day which is also important to remember because remember we said this is the fourth miracle that Jesus did and this is a huge miracle. And this is also the only miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Very important to notice. So this loud, uh, uh, great uh, crowd followed them and in verse 3, Jesus said, uh, Jesus said the following. He says, Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples and verse 4 comes into play and it says, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, were, were at hand. And it seems like this verse doesn't actually fit in there. Why would John put that in there? And I read a few commentaries on this, and there's two reasons that they give. First of all, they say John wanted to indicate that the group or the crowd that followed Jesus was there because they, they were attending the Passover. So that might have been one of the reasons. And the other reason was that um, Passover, you have to realize, what were they celebrating with Passover? Well, the exile from, from Egypt. The fact that they were set free from the slavery of the Egyptians. So this was fresh in these guys' minds, this, this crowd's minds. And we will see later in verse 15 how this plays out. So John is actually preparing us and saying, listen, this big crowd came because they were there for the Passover. And remember, the Passover is something that they came and had a feast and they were celebrating that for a specific reason. And in verse 5, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, well, Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? I mean, they are sitting there. This is their time to be alone. And uh, Jesus sees the crowd come and he looks over to Philip and he says, listen, man, we've got a problem. We need to feed these people. Where are we going to find bread? And the verse after that says, he said this to test him for he, Jesus himself, knew what he would do. And I read that and I thought, but if Jesus is God, he should have known what Philip was thinking. So why is he asking this question? Why is he testing him? And I realize that Jesus was asking this question not because he didn't know what Philip was thinking. He wanted Philip to search his own heart. Because the answer that he gives later reveals his heart. He reveals his heart. You see, Philip, if you read through this, the book of John, Philip was converted very early in the book of John. As early as 1 John, chapter 37. So he saw all the signs and the miracles that Jesus did. And here comes Jesus and he asks him this question. And he asks him that question so that he can search himself and see, hey, I'm Philip. Oh, my word. I said we need so much, so much money. 
What is in my heart? So Jesus asked him that question. And later we see, you see, Philip was struggling with his faith. And before we criticize Philip too much, I mean, I see Philip in my life. I've got stuff in my life that God has given me, and I know it's only God that could give that to me. And I still, still say, Lord, I don't know. If I, if I calculate, there's Jaden, there's Ingrid, there's the school, there's this. If I calculate everything, Lord, we're not going to make it. Philip had the same problem. I mean later, listen to this. Later in chapter, let me just get it here. Chapter 14 of John, verse 8 and 9. Jesus gets all his disciples together. They are together in the upper room. And listen to what Philip says. And I, I find almost a comfort in this. Listen to what he says. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, say, show me the Father? You know, when I was working through this, I'm thinking, Philip, man, Philip. How can you miss this? You know what? Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, you're exactly the same. Me? First of all, I'm Anthony, I'm not Philip. No, you're Philip. Because I've brought you through everything. Have you ever looked back and saw where you are right now? And look and see what I've done. The process and the things that I've put you through in your life. To get you where you are right now. You are Philip. And we miss it. But we read this and we think, hey, Philip. Man. You're one chip short of a happy meal. No. Now let me say this. This is hard. One thing that I've learned is that God has the right to challenge our faith. He will place you in a situation and in a circumstance, ask me, he will place you in a circumstance and a situation to test your faith. Always. Don't understand this. Lord, why do I have to live by faith every day? Because I'm shaping your faith. You see, faith is like a muscle. It has to be exercised. To grow properly. I mean, how many times? I've, I've spoken to my wife many times. And I said to her, listen. And she knows how I am like. I say to her, I want to know three years from now, everything will be fine. And she told me, she says, listen, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> now I have to live by faith every single day of my life. It's hard. Especially when you have a little boy that says, daddy, buy me this, and buy me this, and buy me this. And I say to him, do, do you think daddy is a millionaire? Yes. <laughs> Talk about pressure. But you see, God, God has the right over our lives to exercise our to challenge our faith. 
We don't like that. I'm more comfortable being comfortable than being challenged. That's all of us. But God comes and he says, oh, really? Let me kick that comfortableness out of your, out of your way. So Philip, I can't show a finger to Philip and say, Philip, man, dude, you missed it. I'm exactly the same. And God places us in these things so that he can develop and build our faith. No pain, no gain. I hate that when they say that in gym because I pain all over. <laughs> but if you don't have any pain, there's no growth. Unfortunately, that's the way it works. And that's why Jesus said to Philip, hey, listen here, you're from here. You know what? We've got this crowd. What do you think we should do? And Philip, being a, a bookkeeper, I suppose, ran the numbers quickly. Uh, da, 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 okay, we need this and this and this. But that's not even going to be enough. Is it? He's got the creator of the universe next to him. He saw three miracles happen in front of him and he misses it. It's me, Lord. Verse 7, Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. What is a little, man? Is that one bite? Now, we know 200 denarii was about eight months' wages. He misses it. He analyzes the problem not through the lens of an almighty, powerful God, but through the lens of human ability. I spoke to Ingrid. I said to her, you know what? Have you seen the lottery numbers? Have you seen the amount of dollars these people are Putting into the lottery. If we can win the lottery, man, we made. I will build this whole church over. I will give half of the money to the church. And then she says to me, first of all, it's, it's wrong. And second of all, you have to be in it to win it. And then when, Ing when Jaden asks me, he says, Daddy, I want this and this and this. I say to him, listen, the only way we're going to get this, that amount of money for you to have all the Lego that you want, we have to win the lottery. And then he goes, please, Lord, help my daddy to win the lottery. And I said, no. It's just a... But that's the thing. That's just the thing. Isn't that what we do? Isn't that the problem? I'm standing here on the podium. Listen, let me tell you, I'm on your side. You know what I do? I try to figure out how I can make the numbers line up. Every time. And I'm like, Philip, Lord, this is not going to work. But I tell you what I will do. In my own strength, I will do A, B, and C. And I forget about Jesus. I forget about that. I put on the glasses of my own human perspective. And I think that's fine. And Jesus is so gracious. He, he, he knows. But he allows us to make those foolish statements sometimes. Isn't that wonderful? Verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Here comes Andrew. And he says, There is a boy here 
who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they to so many? Almost like Philip. A little bit different. But a little bit different than Philip. But he also misses the mark. Now, allow me to say this. I know this is not in the text. But I'm wondering at this point, where's Peter? Because he's always the big mouth. I mean, if Jesus were walking and Jesus stops, I see Peter. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Lord. Where's Peter? I'm, I'm getting this picture in my mind. And again, I'm saying, forgive me. Um, I said, as Pastor John would say. But I'm getting this picture of Peter standing at the back and he's saying, I want to see how this thing plays out. I'm not going to get involved in this. Hey, that's what I see. Because Philip missed it. Andrew missed it. I'm not going to be the third one that's going to miss this. So that's the picture that I'm getting. So Andrew comes and he says, listen, Lord, we've, uh, there's a, a lad here. He's got this. What can we learn from Andrew? Give the little bit that you have. Give it all to Christ. Even though he said, but what is this to, I mean, it doesn't line up. We've got these five pieces of bread and these two fishes. This is not going to feed anyone here. But Lord, here it is. Now, if you read through the Gospel of John, through the Gospels, you'll find out that Andrew was always the guy that took everyone to Christ, to Jesus. That's how Peter got saved. And here he gets his hands on, on five loaves and two fishes. And what does he do? Lord, I don't know if this is going to help, but here it is. Look at Philip. Philip said, Lord, there's no way. This is the amount of money we need. Listen, it's not going to happen. Andrew says, you know what, Lord? I've got this. But I'm giving it all to you. So you know what I've learned? Even if it's a little bit, even if the resources like this, grain of mustard seed, give it all to him. We are not called to multiply stuff. We want to. I want to. I mean, if I can put a $100 bill there and I can multiply that. We're not called to multiply stuff. We miss that. Why? Because we put that glass upon it. Oh, dirty. My human ability. Here's the lesson that we can learn from Andrew. Even if it's little, give it all to Christ. Let him multiply it. Can I tell you another secret? Like Pastor John always says, through confessions. Every time when I'm asked to come and stand in front of you and to share, I have a battle with the Lord. I say, Lord, you know I can't do this. I feel like Moses. I'm going to take the picture. I'm gonna, I'm, I, I, I can't speak. Why me? I have the same battle with my wife because I said to my wife, I look at all these people. I've got a brother. Um, he's fantastic. The way that he speaks and, and, and he's a 
a powerful man of God. And when I listen to him, I feel like I just need to shut up. And I start to compare myself to other people. Because I'm thinking the few bread and fish that I have is not enough. And then the Lord comes back to me and he says to me, that is exactly, because it's not you. It's me working through you. And let me say this. It's good to have an education. I mean, I'm busy studying at one of the best schools in America, Regent University. I'm so proud of my school. I'm studying to get a degree in my biblical studies so that I can be proficient in what I want to do. But I cannot rely on that stuff. Some people rely on the way that they speak. Some other people rely on, on their ability of, of, of their talents. We cannot rely on those things. We have to rely on Jesus. So here am I this morning, and I'm saying, Lord, you know what? I've got five loaves of bread and two fishes, but it's not even the size of your bread. Five loaves of bread and two fishes. I've got nothing. But here's the thing, Father. I'm giving it all to you. All of it, I'm giving to you. You have to do the work. And this is what I'm learning from, from, from Andrew. I, I want to ask you a question. You don't have to answer me. I had to answer this question while I was busy working out this. The Lord was revealing this to me and I had to answer him. But which one of the two are you? Are you like Philip? That says, Lord, I see nothing. I don't see any hope. Or are you like Andrew? That say, Lord, you know what? It's not much. But this is what I have. This is what I have, Lord. I've got no, nothing more. Which one are you? And it's something that you have to, do, to, to answer to yourself. Let me continue on. Verse 10, Jesus said, listen to this. Jesus never said to them, Philip and Andrew, I mean, come on, guys been so long with you guys. How can you miss this? Never says that. You know what Jesus says? Let the people sit down. I want to see their faces. In my mind, I see their faces like, we just told you this is not going to work. Yes, let the people sit down. You know how many times I said to the Lord, listen, this is not going to work. And he says, watch me. And I'm not talking about an audible voice. But I know in my heart, he speaks to me through the word. And he says to me, watch me. I'm going to do this. But you must honor me. 
So verse 12 says, and uh, verse 10 says, And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there might, were much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 number. And I told you in Matthew 12 where it says it's only the men besides the women and the children. Verse 11, listen to this. This is so beautiful. Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks. That's it. Gave thanks. Didn't make a long story. Oh Lord, you know, we are here in a desolated place. And there's 20,000 people in front of me. No. Took the, the bread, the fish, and he said, Lord, thank you. That's all. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this. And he distributed them to those who were seated. So also, the fish, as much as they wanted. These guys were eating until they had they were full twice. You know why I'm saying that? Because this was no fallen fish or fallen, fallen bread. This was bread out of heaven. I mean, they ate. I want to get back to the thank you. While I was reading this, I was reminded in my own life how many times God has provided things in my life and I don't even say thank you. We sometimes fill up that fridge. I don't know how we do it again. We fill up that fridge. And I, in the beginning, it was like, oh yeah, okay. We've got a fridge full of stuff. And then the Holy Spirit started to speak to me and say, listen, you need to say thank you. From now on, when we fill up that fridge, I walk away and I say, Lord, thank you so much. When I get him to my car, I say, Lord, thank you for my Ferrari. <laughs> when I lie in the bed at night and I look at that ceiling in the Regent Village, I say, Lord, thank you for a roof over my head. And when we go to a restaurant, you know what we do? We take hands with Jaden and we pray. Lord, thank you for this food. I can feel the eyes burn me all over looking at I don't care. Why? Because I want to be thankful. We need to be thankful. Jesus took the little, little, the, 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 the five bread and two fishes, the, the little that he had, and he said, Lord, thank you. And God multiplied those things. We need to learn how to say thank you. I'm reminded, of, I'm reminded of what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. And he says that the end time age church will be very unthankful. May it never be said that we are unthankful. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances. For this, listen, is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Even when you go through bad things. Really? Yes. That's hard. It's hard when you go through struggles in life and you still have to give thanks. But I'm asking you again. Are you Philip? Andrew? It's so easy to forget all the the stuff that God did for us when it's going well with us. 
We have to give thanks. Second observation of this verse. Jesus distributes. He took the few bread and fish and he said, they, they ate until they had enough. You see what happens when you give God your little? And here's the responsibility from our side. Because what happens later in verse 12 and 13, this is what it says. It says, and when they had eaten their full, Jesus told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Ask my wife. One of the things that I hate is to throw away food that's gone bad, that's gone bad in our fridge. You know why? I immediately repent and say, Lord, forgive me. Because maybe tomorrow, God will say, you know what? They, got, they have too much food. Excuse me. We have a responsibility. God will multiply your little. But are you responsible? Sometimes you have to give some of that stuff away. Because you've got too much. Be responsible. Verse 13, so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Why 12? Well, there was 12 disciples. Now, why would Jesus, and I mean, we're talking about big baskets, like the commentators all say. Why would, why 12 and why? So Jesus gave each disciple a basket full of the food that was left. Why? He gave them this to remind them never to forget the capacity of, God's, of God to perform miracles in their lives and His ability to provide for them. That's what I believe. He gave them that so that they could see physically, listen, this is what I, Jesus Christ, can do in your life if you trust me. That's why. And then when we read further, verse 14 and 15, when the people sat saw the signs that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. You remember what I told you about verse 2, the Passover? Israel, even today, are waiting for the Messiah. If you speak to, to a Jewish person, they will tell you, Jesus Christ is not the Messiah. You know why? Because they are waiting for a Messiah that will give them peace politically. When Jesus was here walking on this earth, he was giving peace, but it was all inward. It was having life in him, eternal life. You can speak to any of the, of, of the Jews. They'll tell you exactly. This is why we do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's not taken away the enemies politically that's against Israel. And here's this crowd. They see what Jesus has done. He's healed the sick. Now he's making... The connection is there. Listen, Moses prophesied about this. He said there's a prophet that's coming. Didn't they ask John the Baptist, listen, are you the prophet that would have come? And he said, no. And here is the situation. Sad thing. The crowd is there. They see how Jesus comes and he fulfills. He, he checks all the boxes. He's the fulfillment. He's the prophet. That, but they miss one thing. Out of their own, they want to take him and make him king. 
forcing him. How do you force God? They missed the whole point. It's so sad. What did Jesus require? Again, we're back at, at where we said John's purpose of this book. I write you these things so that you might what? Believe. And that you might have eternal life. And sad enough, this crowd missed the whole thing. He misses the whole, they misses, miss the whole thing. And it reminds me, you know, and please forgive me. But it reminds me of faith healers. You'll get people that says, listen, I'm driving all the way to D.C. Because there's a faith healer. And I want God to heal me. And that's the only guy that can heal me. Where's your faith then? Just ask me. It's the same. Because you're putting your faith in what? In a man. It's the same. Here's the scenario. These people sit there. They, they've been fed. I mean, forget about Chick-fil-A and McDonald's drive through This is the first drive through that was established ever. Or sit through or walk through. But you understand what I'm saying? They were nowhere. There were no places that would provide food for them. Jesus comes and he does this miracle. And they miss it. These are the signs that can show that Jesus Christ is God. And they miss that. How can they miss that? Easy. Their own desires. Their own agenda. Oh, how much have I had some of that stuff in my life. Then I'm reminded, why do I serve God? Do I serve Him for what I can get? Or do I serve Him for who He is? Why do we serve God? There's two groups of people here in this passage. It's the ones that are close to Christ. And again, I'm saying this. God has the privilege of testing our faith. Not to see if we are saved, but to see where our faith is. And if we are growing our faith. And then it's the crowd on the outside. Now, I'm not saying all of them did not believe in Jesus Christ. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But we see later in the chapter that Jesus says to them, says to them Listen, you are not following me because you saw the signs. You are following me because you got fed. So the question that I'm asking this morning, I'm asking, why are we following Christ? Why are we following Christ? Verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Listen, Jesus is not on the time clock of human beings. He's on the time clock of God. He does what God told him to do, and he stays in the rhythm of that. Not going to be manipulated. Ingrid, as you come. They missed it. 
They never fulfilled the conditions of faith. The crowd. John says, I've written this so that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They were seeking Jesus on their terms. Wow. How many times have I done that in my life? Lord, if you do this, then I will do that. My terms. Beside the fact that we that are saved have to decide if we Philip or Andy. The people that are outside, maybe you are looking, watching online this morning. I'm asking you, what attracts you to Jesus? It's a question that I have to answer every day of my life. Why do I follow Jesus Christ? What is my motives? Because the way that you answer that question is going to sustain you when you, when you go into the storm in your life. They missed it. How do I get saved? Anthony, if you tell me this morning, I need to make Jesus priority in my life. How do I get saved? Well, it's easy. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9. It's through grace by faith alone. It's nothing that you can add. If you add one thing to your salvation, then it's not salvation anymore. It's through faith alone. Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. John 17 verse 3, this is such a beautiful scripture. And listen what John says. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who you have sent. Those people came so close. I wonder how many people have the same experience. They come so close to God, but they do not recognize Him as Lord. This is something that keeps me awake at night. To know these people that's dying without Christ. Man. But we are worried about the next clothes we're going to wear. The next nice car we're going to drive. There are people dying without Christ. They missed this. In my own life, I had to ask the question again. Lord, am I missing you? Maybe I'm like Philip. Maybe I'm like Andrew. Lord, am I missing you? In some way, am I deceiving myself? I got saved when I was in 1984. 17 July. got saved. Lord, I've been saved for so many years. Am I missing you? 
What is the intention of my heart? Why do I serve you? Why am I drawn to you? Why? And this morning, that's exactly the same thing that I want to ask each and every one of us. You don't have to answer this. But I think it's important that you make a decision. Dr. Bucci said it last week. He said, your belief governs your behavior. I will spend time with people that say, I'm a Christian. And I'm not judging. But then I listen to the conversations that they have. And they contradict their statement with the conversations that they have. They're not saved. Because of the stuff that they talk about. And the way that they talk about the stuff. Are we saved? What draws you to Christ? Is it the miracles? Or is it because you know He's, he's God? I want to end with this. A band called DC Talk in 1995 had an album called Jesus Freak. And there's a song on that album. What if I stumble? You remember that song? It starts off with a man saying these words, and I want to read it to you. He says the following. He says, what if I stumble if I fall? The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. What you believe will determine your behavior. You can say it. You can fake it. But I can guarantee you, you're not going to make it. In my own life, I had to go and draw up a balance sheet and say, Lord, I miss you. Bring my focus back. So this morning, I just want to give you some time to ask the Holy Spirit to go through your heart and think about this. Lord, am I, am I clinging to the end product and not to you? Watching online, am I really saved? Because things are happening in this world of ours. And if you don't know what you believe, you will fall for anything and everything that comes your way. I want to encourage you this morning. Go and search your heart. Ask God, Lord, what do I need to do? Am I maybe an Andrew? Or a Philip? Or maybe am I like the people outside of that circle. And I'm not really saved. Because all that I want from you is things so that you can benefit me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you are a gracious, wonderful Lord and loving God. 
And Father, as we go through this life, help us to be reminded of the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. Help us to get all the trivia and all the nonsense and all the things that distracts us out of the way. And Father, help us to live our lives according to your word. Purify our hearts. Father, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will reveal to us everything that's not of you in our lives. Help us this morning to get our focus back. Help us this morning, Father God. Forgive us for what we have made this. But Lord, help us to get our first love back. Lord, in each and every one of our lives, may you come and purify our hearts, our minds, our motives, no matter what it takes. Lord, we are here to say we give everything. Lord, even if it's just two rotten fishes and five loaves of bread, Lord, we give it to you. In my own strength, we can't do this. In my own strength, we cannot carry it. Father, I pray this morning, help us. Guide us and protect us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Anthony. What a powerful, powerful message. Thank you. Well, we are so glad that you chose to join with us this morning. If you need prayer before you leave, Anthony and I will be here in the front. But I ask that the rest of you would just gather your things and exit quietly into the foyer. That way we can pray with those who are in need this morning. Have your fellowship in the foyer in the parking lot. We're so thankful that you are here. We're thankful you chose to watch online with us this morning. We love you guys. We hope to see you here in person. And uh, don't forget about Easter. But you guys have a blessed rest of your Sunday. You are dismissed. This podcast is a member of the Grace River Podcast Network. To listen to more of the podcasts in our network, head over to graceriverva.com slash media. We would love for you to join us in person or online on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for our weekend worship experience. Our campus is located at 5045 Indian River Road in Virginia Beach, Virginia, or you can find us online at graceriverva.com. Grace River exists so that every generation can experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives.